You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Rightio, a Premier League season is back in full swing now, and we know that because Manchester United fans are sick and grey already. There's been no such issues for the Sky Blues across the town, though. City off and running, top of the ladder. Tottenham just sitting quite nicely behind them with Big Ange Postacoglu at the helm these days. The schedule starts to get serious now with the Champions League pool play beginning tomorrow. Closer to home, the A-League season has been bubbling away as has chatter about an Auckland-based club joining the fray. Well, Jacob Spoonley is uh, the bloke we go to uh, when we want to talk football on this station. Um, in particular, uh, have you heard, what have you heard bubbling away in Auckland there? What have you heard, Jacob, about the, the possibility of the second team? Well, look, to be honest, Smithy, it's all gone rather a bit quiet at this point in time. Um, I think... Uh, the statement was made by APL um, around expanding into Canberra and Auckland. And we had heard some whispers um, recently about who the potential owners could be. Um, but I think the thing that everyone probably needs to appreciate is there's going to be alignment between not only the Auckland ownership and whoever's involved in that, but the Canberra ownership as well. So this, I am sure, is a situation where APL wants to make a, a joint announcement about both franchises, and they did set themselves the target of the 2024-25 season, so hopefully we will hear something shortly. Okay, uh, we look forward to that. Uh, how about um, the kiss, the kiss of football? I mean... My God, has this carried on, uh, this um, Jenny Hermoso uh, uh, issue? Yeah, it has, and it should have been dealt with a long time before the World Cup, to be honest, Smithy. Um, I think uh, it's a situation where the players um, have made their feelings known, um, and then the federation, probably um, in a manner which is perceived by a lot of people to be very backwards, hasn't come to the table. So it's dragged on and it's dragged on. We've seen press statements, we've seen announcements, um, but where we're at at the moment is a situation where a growing number of players are refusing to play for a federation that they do not believe represents them or at least will sit down and talk to them. So um, it really is a quagmire. It is losing the, the World Cup trophy is losing the polish very, very quickly as it sits there in Spain with a federation that can put it in the trophy cabinet but doesn't have a team to play for them at the moment. It is absolutely one of the most bizarre things I've seen in all my time in sport, to be perfectly honest, how this has not been sorted and done and, and just wrapped up and, and honestly, it, it's a, a seriously missed opportunity to bask in some glory. That's uh, the first thing that they've missed out on. Anyway, uh, let's uh, move on into uh, the EPL and uh, well, you guys are uh, Pretty happy, uh, Liverpool just sitting a couple of points <laughs> below Man City. Uh, we just read out the odds before. Uh, they're a buck thirty-six to win it this far out, and Haaland a dollar twenty-five to be leading goal scorer, uh, which is uh, pretty high-powered stuff from the TAB as such. But uh, in the last round, um, you, you accounted for uh, to, for Wolves quite nicely. Well, I think the big thing across the weekend, Smitty, was those that consider themselves contenders 
and put themselves in the same bracket as Man City, who, to be fair, are leading the way. They all had to come from behind. I think Liverpool, Tottenham, your Tottenham, uh, and Man City all came from a goal down. And to have that sort of test so early on in the season is really fantastic. Apologies, I've got a car coming towards me here at the moment, so I'll move out of the way. But um, that, that sort of test that you get outside of just performing and racking up results gives your team resilience. And not only did it happen early on in the season, but it's also happened right before we get into European football. Um, and that'll really give a, a lot of belief to not only Man City uh, and to Liverpool, but I think Tottenham, if we look out 12 months, mate, we could be talking about a Tottenham team that's in the group stages of the Champions League. And wow, what a bizarre statement that would have been last year. Well, it would be on the back of um, of Harry Kane leaving. I mean, uh, they've found, Ange Postacoglu has found a combination and a goal-scoring unit um, without Harry quite quickly. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, Smithy. I think the, the big thing for me is this is an indictment on the way the British media operates more than anything. Their dismissal of him, not only at Celtic, but also uh, at um, Tottenham. Who is this guy? What is he doing? Oh, he's from Australia. They don't play football down there. And he is a footballing genius. I've got, I don't use that term lightly, but he is just simply fantastic at um, what he does. And he's pulled upon this pool of players that have been sitting below the surface of what was a pretty underwhelming first 11 for Tottenham last year. And it's an indication of how well-resourced the club is more than anything. Second to that, mate, and this is the thing that is just truly mind-boggling, you take out the club's top goal scorer. You take out potentially the record uh, goal scorer in the Premier League, where he's definitely on his way to challenge you, Alan Shearer, the England captain. You've got to wonder the impact that it has on a team like Tottenham, a team that was struggling in the middle of the table last year, but really has not put in place an anchor or a weight on the team at all. If anything, it feels like a weight has been relieved, and they're playing some superb football, and they're an absolute joy to watch week in and out. So um, you, you really skirted around uh, Liverpool at this point. But how are you feeling about the, the combination now? I mean, um, it's slightly underwhelming year last year, I think it's fair to say. Uh, what's made them uh, much more a genuine contender this year, you feel? I think there's two things, Smithy, um, and one might contradict the other, but I think they're both relevant. The first is that Liverpool needed a reboot. This was a team that won the, champion, uh, won the Champions League and the Premier League in the space of uh, three years, I think it was. But they were still the same team. The team that got rolled out um, was by and large an aged version of what had been a very successful side. So they needed a reboot. Secondly, they need cohesion. So they brought in a whole bunch of recruits. The likes of Darwin Nunez, the likes of McAllister, the likes of Gravenbush, for example. They provided the reboot, but then Klopp needs to gel this team together. And he seems to be doing it in a fantastic way where he is mitigating the lack of cohesion because of the recruitment, the, the recent recruitment, but at the same time bringing a freshness to Liverpool. I think someone mentioned it the other day. They look ferocious and hungry. They see every 90 minutes as an opportunity to put themselves in the conversation for the end of the season. And I think it's pushing Man City as far as they possibly could go. I don't think there's any talk about Liverpool winning the league, but at the moment it's very much about pushing Man City, see who will break first. And that's something that we simply did not see last year in Klopp's Liverpool. All right, OK. Uh, interesting result over the weekend. Um, Man U won Brighton 3 
um, at Old Trafford too. Uh, how are you feeling, uh, one, about Brighton, who sit in fifth spot at the moment? Where is their strength? Uh, and do um, you won't fear for them because you're a Liverpool fan, but for Manchester United supporters, <laughs> uh, if, uh, what is going to happen here? Are, are we just looking at a stage now or a period of Manchester United history where they're just, I, I won't say making up the numbers, but they're not genuine contenders? Yeah, it's a really interesting microcosm of the league at the moment. What we saw in Brighton is an organisation that's got clarity and alignment and it's got purpose uh, and and it's trying to head up the Premier League table. Um, so we've seen them go from the likes of Potter into De Zerbi. The change of manager had no impact, if anything. De Zerbi was able to amplify the talent that had been put together under Potter's reign. The second thing about Brighton that's really interesting because it was dismissed so early on at the turn of the century is the influence of analytics. Something that is quite often overlooked is the fact that the Brighton owner also owns a sports uh, and betting analytics company. And this team is put together on the basis of not only a subjective assessment of um, the skill and the resource that a player and that a coach can bring to something, but also an objective account, a, a validation of an opinion, if you will. And so everything that Brighton does is calculated. Conversely, everything that Man United does seems to be based on tradition, and that tradition is starting to become archaic. The second point I'd make about Man United, and this is something that haven't obviously played in the Premier League, but it's something that has been present in a number of change rooms that I've been involved in, is that the players themselves hold a significant weight in that club at the moment. It's a club that is chaotic off the field, and a lot is made about that chaos influencing matters on the field, but it doesn't seem like Den Haag has control of the dressing room at the moment. He is not having everyone, everyone in behind the bus pushing. You've got some players uh, doing their own thing, and I'm not talking about Jaden Sancho, but I thought well, that was a bizarre situation where you had divergence between a player and a coach. What I'm talking about is the lack of Bruno Fernandes, the, the captain of the club, the player that you should be expecting to lead him, the player that's stepping into the shoes of Roy Keane, um, Nemanja Vidic, for example, some great footballers, and he seems to be sulking on the field. And now that influences the rest of the team. It influences the game, particularly when it's at home at, at Old Trafford. And then that then is so contrasts so starkly with the likes of Brighton, who are so fluid and cohesive. And we saw that on the weekend. Mm, okay. Concern there, concern there. Uh, what has also been illustrated here is the gap uh, coming up from the championship. If you look at the table now, only, only early days admittedly, but it does set an early trend. The championship promotion to uh, maintaining credibility and stability in the Premier League is very hard to achieve. If I looked at the bottom at the moment, Sheffield United, Burnley, Luton, all in there, and uh, Everton who seem to have some terrible woes. Uh, Burnley, I think, getting their first point this morning. Yeah, that's right. And that was a real surprise because I think everyone was expecting Vincent Company to bring what was a very formidable Burnley up from the championship and at least achieve sort of stability and a mid-table result. But what I think we're seeing at the moment is the gap between those teams that occupy the cellar in the Premier League. So the promoted clubs, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield, for example, make up three of the bottom four. And then the, the mid-table. 
So the likes of your Fulhams, your Crystal Palaces, um, and your Bournemouths, even though they are just above uh, that tail at the moment, it's the teams that have that kind of institutional knowledge about how to survive the Premier League and how to grind out those results. And in Sheffield and Burnley in particular, I think we've seen some really philosophically driven clubs that aren't quite there with the practicalities of surviving in the Premier League. And to your point, you don't want to be that far adrift heading into Christmas, heading into that crunch time. You've got games every two to three days. So they are going to need to start accumulating points. And whether or not that means a change of approach really is down to those men at the helm. Mm, okay, right. I got a text in the other day to say, why don't you talk about the Phoenix at the moment on the station? Well, the fact of the matter of, uh, in terms of um, you know, competition, etc., they've been involved in the Australia Cup. Are they, it's, it's all about uh, building at this stage and getting ready for the season. W- what are you seeing out of the Phoenix roster this year um, and prospects for the early parts of the season? Well, I think there is perhaps a little bit of fatigue, a little bit of hangover from last year where the Phoenix really did go out and recruit um, in an expansive way and got some fantastic names on the door. And they, they produced on the field for large chunks of the season, but it did all rather tail out and, and rather peter out uh, heading into that uh, final series. What we've seen over the course of the off-season is a real focus on shoring up the recruitment, particularly with this proposed Auckland franchise coming into the competition potentially as soon as next year. And that focus has been sharpened around the young New Zealand players. And I think a lot of people will probably roll their eyes and say, oh, great, we're going to go with the kids, are we? Um, but these are youngsters that have been in the system, they've been coached by the likes of Chris Greenacre, and they've got experience under Ufuk Tale and uh, Chiefy. Um, so uh, Gianluca Italiano, for those that uh, have only heard the name Chiefy uh, this morning. Um, but if you want to remember some names, um, I'll give you the likes of uh, Lucas Kelly Held, Finn Conchi, uh, Alex Paulson, who's going to be in goal, taking up the gloves from Ollie Sale, uh, and then Ben Old. And I think Ben Old is the one that will will finish on because he's the player that's going to be charged with a lot of responsibility in this team this year. Alongside the likes of David Ball, he's going to be taking up an attacking midfield role, and he is going to be somebody that they're going to look to for creative solutions to really unlock teams. And I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on what he can bring to the table because that's one area where at the moment the Phoenix are light on the ground, and traditionally they have looked for foreign signings to come in and bring that capability to their collectors at the boat. Right, okay, that uh, sounds good. There's actually a very good story in the women's Phoenix side of thing. I was just uh, uh, reading this morning um, about Riley Foster. Uh, this is a great, uh, great human interest story as much as anything else. The signing of this uh, former Liverpool uh, Canadian-born goalkeeper who has come back from a lot of adversity. Yeah, that's right. Um, car crash meant that she was out for a significant amount of time. You have to forgive me. I've been uh, on the computer smashing out emails this morning, so not across all of the detail in the story that was released by the Phoenix. But it, it is rather um, poetic in some senses because Lily Alfeld, the, the captain of the Wellington Phoenix for the first couple of seasons, she unfortunately has gone from a knee injury into a back injury. So she's not going to be there this season. The club are thinking about how they can involve her. But... For Riley Foster, this is a situation where she can literally revive her career. And to be able to call upon somebody that's got the experience of um, playing for Liverpool uh, and being involved in the Canadian setup, that's another great asset for Paul Temple to call upon. And I think if we compare the two sides, 
Last year, the women's team had a real focus on developing young Kiwi players. This year, they've probably gone for a much more balanced approach and looking to put themselves in a situation where they can be involved in the playoffs. Um, so rather the inverse of what we're seeing from the men's side this year. And for anyone interested in the Women's World Cup or developing their interest in football off the back of that wonderful tournament, get involved in this Wellington Phoenix women's team. They've recruited really well locally. They've kept four of players that were there for the first couple of seasons, and then they have supplemented the local talent with some really intriguing international prospects. So I think this is a team that's going to quietly go about their business in the early stages of the season, and then when we talk potentially in January, we might be talking about a Wellington Phoenix women's team that's going to make a push for the playoffs. Smithing. Wow, what a story that would be. That's akin to uh, where the Warriors were and where the Warriors have become. So uh, that is interesting uh, uh, to look at. And just finally, Jacob, I'll read out um, a couple of fixtures or two or three fixtures involving the England teams in the Champions League. Tell us what chance. AC Milan, Newcastle? I think this is where Newcastle are going to rock the Champions League and pick up their first uh, three points of the group stages. Truly an efficient thing going forward. And then AC Milan coming off the back of that dismantling in the Milan derby. Manchester City will account for, is it Cravena's Vetsa? <laughs> this is something that we probably could have jumped on a little bit earlier. Uh, Red Star Belgrade, I think, uh, Smithy, if you're going for the English interpretation. But the interesting right, thing is okay. for cons- for consecutive seasons, a little fella from Wellington by the name, well, he's not a little, by the name of Marco Stamenich, the player that is so versatile, plays in a number of different positions for Darren Baisley in the all-whites midfield, is going to go to the Etihad and anchor the midfield um, against Manchester City in back-to-back seasons. Get up tomorrow morning, get your Red Star shirt on and back Marcus Damanich because it's another chance where a 21-year-old is going to go toe-to-toe with the best in the world. Why the hell wouldn't they just put Red Star Belgrade there? I would have been better, much better. Um, right. Bayern Munich, Manchester United. That's on uh, Thursday morning. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this is just going to be incredibly one-sided. This is, this is the, the shortest summation ever. Bayern will absolutely destroy Manchester City. Ooh. Arsenal PSV just finally. Arsenal PSV, I think um, the bigger demand is going to be placed upon Arsenal this year. Mikel Arteta's side are expected to go the distance in the Premier League. They will also have their fan base calling for success in the Champions League. They're up against a tricky opponent in Ryan Thomas's ex-club PSV Eindhoven. The Dutch will always come to the Champions League with a plan and it's going to be down to Mikel Arteta to come up with the solutions which they'll be expecting of him. Covered all bases for us, as always, uh, Jacob Spoonley. Uh, thanks very much for your time today, mate. Have a terrific week. Love you. Cheers, mate. Have a good day.